You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. I had all these people like DMing me, being like, yeah, I really wanted to come to your show. Me and like 13, 14 of my homies, but you know, we weren't able to because of the vaccine mandate. And I was thinking, thank God you couldn't come to the show. You would have ruined the entire tour, you fools. Welcome back to another episode of Canada's favorite Bligity Black podcast, or podcast in general. Mel, what's going on? I'm good, Dalton. Excited about this interview. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, just good? You're not great? Okay, you know what? I'm great. Let me let me speak positivity <laughs> into the air right now. <laughs> That's right. It's all about the vibes, the <laughs> yeah. positive Still vibrations. Still early in the day. I'll say great. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> well, yeah, no, we have a fantastic uh, show for you all. Mel and I were like both like raging, you know, hip hop heads and uh, music junkies. So every season we try to get, you know, a great musician or two into this, you know, or not the studio because we're doing this remotely <laughs> because it's a pandemic, yeah. but we try to get a special guest uh, tied to the music community. And we have an interesting one today. Um, so today's episode, we have Cadence Weapon, uh, as our guest and Cadence, he's just an interesting guy. I mean, I said he actually lives in my neighborhood in Toronto, Canada. All right. So I kind of see him. Sometimes I'll just be going out for like some fast food run or something and I'll bump into him and I'll be like, hey, what's up, Roly, Cadence? And it's just like, it's all very cool. But uh, a little bit about Cadence Weapon. He's Edmonton born, uh, he's an Edmonton born Toronto based rapper, producer, writer, and poet. Uh, and his given name is Roly Pemberton. And uh, Pemberton is a bit of what I'd like to call a rap renaissance man in that, you know, he dabbles in a bunch of interesting things, you know, music adjacent things. Um, He's released five albums, all of which have been nominated for the Polaris Music Prize. Uh, He's served as the Poet Laureate of Edmonton, Alberta uh, between the years of 2009-2011. He's also hosted lectures and conducted live interviews for broadcasters like CBC, CBCQ, and Red Bull Music Academy. And he also has a forthcoming book about his career called Bedroom Rapper. Roly Pemberton, Cadence Weapon, what is going on, my guy? Oh, you know, I'm just vibing. You're not just vibing. Look, (laughs) this is what everyone is talking about right now. It's the fact that your newest album, Parallel World, recently won the 2021 Polaris Music Prize and the $50,000 cash prize that comes along with it. Okay, that's a big deal. Yeah, Yeah, that, that is all facts. That's all facts. And, you know, for some of our listeners, too, I mean, the Polaris Music Prize, it's an interesting one in that the prize goes to the best Canadian album of the year based on artistic merit without regard to genre, sales history, or label affiliation. So for some perspective, past winners have included people like Arcade Fire, Kate Trinata, Feist, um, Tanya Tagak, who I love, Buffy St. Marie, who's like a demigod, and Lido Pimienta, who we had on our show last season. Yeah. So you're sitting in very good company. So, okay, so here's the question. You won $50,000 from the Polaris Music Prize. Congratulations on that. Real talk, what are you doing with those 50 racks? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> this newly earned cashola. Are you going to buy yourself some, you know, new pairs of Yeezys, jewelry, a mink coat for your mother? <laughs> like, well, what's, what are you going to do with $50,000? What's going on? Well, I actually, uh, I, I did buy this uh, on tour at the Frank Ocean Jewelry Store. Uh, I bought a chain. So... I did. Did you really? A little jewelry. I did. Just a little something, you know. But actually, uh, one of the things I'm going to do once the money really comes in is uh, I want to, you know, contribute some money to those uh, GoFundMes uh, for Little Jamaica. I wanted to drop just, you know, a little bit of something on there. 
And uh, one of the main things I'm doing is I want to get really involved with the upcoming elections. So I want to, you know, use some of the funding to put together these uh, voter registration events. I'm sure you're aware of this just in our community. I think there's a lot of people who are disenfranchised, a lot of people who are not typically involved in the voting process, and maybe even people who are uninformed about how much it affects us on a daily basis, what our city council is, you know, who they are. You know, so this is something that I became really, you know, during the pandemic, I got more into it. I started watching like city council meetings, like on Zoom or whatever, and really being like, oh, first off, I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, who who on earth are these people? How did they win? So then I started looking on like all the, the you know, the, the previous voting. And it's like, these people are only getting like a couple thousand votes each, you know? And then they have this outsized amount of control and power where they can make decisions like, oh... We're not going to allow drinking at a park or, you know, we're going to designate this area, you know, a heritage conservation district or whatever. Like all these like things that actually uh, affect our communities on a large scale uh, happen, you know, on a municipal level and provincially. So that's one of the big things I want to do. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, uh, you know, Cadence, I mean. You've been pretty public, uh, you know, your sort of displeasure with the political, uh, you know, just the kind of politics or politics, like just the way it goes down, you know, locally, you know, uh, provincially, federally. And I think we have a shared uh, distaste uh, for uh, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. You know, I absolutely loathe uh, Justin Trudeau. And the reason being, not so much as a human being, but as a politician. I mean, uh, you've spoken about, uh, you know, publicly this idea of us having a prime minister that has... uh, that has worn blackface repeatedly, brownface. Um, he continues to completely ignore the indigenous community from coast to coast. Um, you know, can you weigh in on that? Like this Justin Trudeau thing? Yeah, you know, I try not to be too overly partisan or anything, but I mean, I'm definitely a more left-leaning person. I just really wish that we had like a real more left-wing option in our country because I feel like we don't right now. And looking at somebody like Justin Trudeau, like I feel like he obviously an example of nepotism, you know, where this is somebody who I feel like doesn't really have the political acumen that is required for the job that he's got. And, you know, between that and just, you know, the racial dynamic where, you know, it's like he makes the big show of having the boxing match, right? You remember that? Or like whether it's the blackface and brownface and it's just the way he's treated indigenous people, like it's just, um, you know, I didn't vote for him, right? So it's kind of like, I'm really just looking for like a true alternative. Like I, I'm kind of confused as like, what is the point of what he's doing? Like, you know, like uh, forcing us to go through this election all over again, you know, and then having basically the same results. And it's just kind of like, it's just too, I'm tired of the games. You know, that's why I have on that song is like play no games, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm really sick of the games. And I see that a lot with uh, Ford as well. Like I find like every decision that he makes is this like political game. It's not about, you know, protecting the people that he's uh, been chosen to serve. No, it's about this like kind of like political gamesmanship where it's like, okay, yeah, we'll give him the, you know, vaccination certificate for now, but then, oh, let's say we're going to end it in January. So like the, you know, fucking psychos that we want to vote for us are going to go for us, you know, like, who cares about these restaurants? Who cares about these businesses or everyone else? I just came from the States, right? And it's like, the fact that you have to be vaccinated to go into the, any of my venues, the fact that you have to be vaccinated to go to any restaurant, any bar, it works. It's like completely normal in America. You would have no idea there was any kind of pandemic. 
Everyone is like lit as a fool. It's super <laughs> turned up. It feels like 2019. They, they're fully open. They're fully yeah. open, you know? And it's like from, from the most democratic state to like the most like craziest red state, I went all over. And it's like, it just shows that that one policy, it actually works and it's, it's very effective. So it's just really extremely frustrating as an artist, you know, and for all my local uh, Toronto venues who are struggling and have been struggling for so long to have this game that they're playing with uh, people's livelihood, you know? Yeah. And it's so interesting. I mean, what you're talking about right now is just sort of like the politicizing of the vaccine and the pandemic, which is one of the biggest crimes of it, in my opinion. Um, and I sort of just want to dive, I mean, continue to talk about politics because not only are you passionate about it, but it's like, you know, you mentioned Trudeau in your Polaris Prize speech, like you mentioned voter engagement. And I just think that like, we're not engaged. You're right. Like, we're not really taught that it's important. We're sort of taught like, this is the way it works. And then we get things like Trudeau, things like racism, like things that you, you're like, yeah, I need to start talking about this. And this is what my music's going to be about. Like, we are taught in this country that it's not a big deal. Yo, you're spitting big facts. The thing that I'm I'm realizing is, is like, if, of course we're not engaged politically. Look at our leadership. Look at the people that we have to choose from. You know, it's like a, you know, like choose choose before between Justin and Doug, and you know, it's always some white guy. You know, like this is the thing that I just realized in city council. You know, I just read this article in the Toronto Star where uh, it was about Joe Cressy and how he isn't going to be running again, right? And he's getting out of politics, right? And you look into the, I didn't know this about his history, is is like him and John Tory, they, their parents were friends. He was John Tory's dad's caddy at the golf club. <laughs> him and Mike Layton are, have been friends for 25 years. It's like they're all homeboys and they're all part of the same country club. And then when you see the way he's being praised, yeah, he's being praised as someone progressive that we should miss. And it's like our standards are on the ground. Exactly. So I guess is that like, is that important to portray through all of your art forms that like we actually need to start caring because this is the way we live our lives? For real. You know, that was something that is really important to me because anytime like I would talk to people before the pandemic, you know, after the pandemic, people came, became much more politically engaged and we had the time and we were able to focus in and be like, wait a minute, why is why are things the way they are? Right. But before that, if you think about it, I don't know if you ever watched The National, but, you know, if you watch CBC The National, it is so boring. And I feel like it's boring. That's why I don't watch it. It's painful. <laughs> it's like the worst show on television. And it's very painful to watch because uh, I believe that they want us to be disengaged. They want to make it as boring and as stale and as lame-seeming as possible so we don't get involved with the issues and we don't like actually get engaged the way that I'm trying to encourage people to be. You know, And I feel like it's by design. But, but what's happening even in Alberta? Can we sort of talk about mm -hmm. that? I mm -hmm. mean, so, it, you know, it's obviously, it's a hot mess uh, here. Um, you know, you're from Alberta. And, you know, can you give us your theory as to why there are more sort of, you know, highly visible publicly elected officials of color, you know, mm -hmm. um, racialized politicians that are holding big seats, you know? When, when even here in Toronto, you know, Toronto's the most multicultural city in the world, but we mostly always get stuck with, you know, it's older white guys or, or, or younger white male duds like Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Like, what's going on in Alberta where things are a little bit different? Well, you know, that's the vibe. Like, if you don't go out there, you don't realize, like, Edmonton and Calgary are very progressive cities. You know, like, they're not—it's not as conservative as you'd think. Like, those two particular cities 
their vibe, you know, and the rest of Alberta is super rural, super conservative. And if you go to those cities, if you go to Edmonton, Calgary, what you find is they're actually quite diverse. You know, it's very, very uh, large South Asian population. Now, lots of Somalian people, lots of a lot more black people than when I was growing up. So I think it's starting to really reflect the people who live there is what, what you're seeing. And mm. um, I feel like that also in uh, Ontario, for instance, you know, we have to deal with, you know, people voting who are never come to the city and, you know, having an outsized influence on what happens in Toronto and what happens, you know, in Ottawa, right? So we don't really have that problem in Alberta because it's not that many people, right? It's not, it's a way smaller population. So I think those two things combined um, cause that. Right, right. So, you know, we're still in this pandemic. Things seem to be getting a bit better as far as, you know, the vaccination process, um, whether, you know, I've been fully vaccinated for a, a number of months. And um, are you fully vaccinated, uh, Cadence? I got fully vaccinated as soon as I fucking could. <laughs> right. I didn't, I didn't wait a second. I was, you remember when, when I got vaccinated, like uh, you hit me up and you were like, yo, like, how'd you, how'd you get vaccinated so fast? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I went to a pop-up uh, in the neighborhood. I waited in line for six hours for my second shot. Because I was like, I want to get back on the road. I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. Season six, Sweethearts, is the story of three teenage girls who were all murdered in Victoria, Canada, within about 12 months. So she was scared. Something out there scared her. You just created the playground where predators can really thrive. She was a 16-year-old girl. She was a sweetheart. Listen to Sweethearts at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get podcasts. Find your frequency. Now, the thing is, as far as, but even the live concert experience, like, has it sort of changed for you? I mean, during this, I mean, I can give you an anecdote. Like, I've been to maybe like a handful of live shows, right? And normally, like, during the summer months, I've gone to like a ton. And, um, you know, I can literally count them on one hand, the amount of like shows I've taken in, like in the last year. And, um, you know, the first one was, it was in Manhattan. It was in New York City. And um, I took in this free outdoor concert with, uh, it was headlined by the Jizza, you know what I mean, of the Wu-Tang Clan and, uh, yeah. and Funk Master Flex was DJing. And um, that was a very different experience, you know, like you were talking about being on the road and it's just turned up, like it didn't even feel like there was a pandemic. Um, so for you as a performer now, you know, you've been touring for the last number of weeks in the United States. Has anything changed as far as audience engagement, uh, call and response, you know, for, as a performer? Oh, you know, at first, like for me as a performer, just when I first came and started playing in the States, like it was like uh, I was a little apprehensive about it, you know, just because people are just out there and acting like it's totally normal. I'm like, uh, how am I supposed to engage with this? But then I kind of warmed up to it the longer I was in the States. And like by the end of the tour, like I was really used to it. I feel like in Canada, we're maybe like six months behind or something like where, where you know, they dip their toe in earlier you know, and got into like, okay, like if we're all vaccinated and we're at this venue, it should be okay. You know, obviously Canadians are risk averse people typically. Um, so I think you'll see, uh, you know, things uh, loosening up a little bit here because especially here in, here in Ontario, for instance, our vaccination rate is significantly higher than anywhere else in, in America. Like it's, it's like really crazily high, you know, like I was playing some places, I played in Cleveland and their vaccination rate is like 50%. So it was like only half the population of the city could even come to my show, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> right. you had to be vaccinated to come. And so I had all these people like 
DMing me, being like, yeah, I really wanted to come to your show. Me and like 13, 14 of my homies, but, you know, we weren't able to because of the vaccine mandate, you know? And I was thinking, thank God you couldn't come to the show. <laughs> Would have ruined the entire tour, you fools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally, totally, yeah, yeah. Any, I mean, even any, um, you know, as far as, you know, tour highlights, lowlights, were there any cities you toured, you know, uh, for Parallel World to promote the record um, that... Um, where it's just like ridiculous, like you know I mean, it's a silly season, um, you know, I, or any that stand out for you as far as like lowlights, you know, for this tour? Oh, I mean, like for like lowlights, definitely um, the last show I played was in Seattle and uh, we happened to be playing in like a venue that was really far. It was like we had to switch venues and it was the wrong venue. It was it was near like the airport. <laughs> it was just like not a, it was raining and it was just like a, just a soggy, miserable evening. But other than that, the shows were, like, popping. Like, that was the thing that, like, New York and L.A. were, like, amazing, like, super busy and, like, felt like regular shows, which I haven't really experienced. Like, the shows I play in Canada have all been, like, limited capacity. Everyone's sitting. Like, it's this, this which didn't really feel like a show. Um, but, uh, you know, like, the ones in New York, like, is I'm doing the call and response. Like, I'm in the crowd. Like, you know, rapping with people. Like, oh. that's the thing is like, I honestly feel after my experience in the States, I, I was testing myself a lot too. Like I was doing rapid tests. I got this thing from like, actually you can get it here from, um, if as a business, you know, since I'm a business, like I was able to get a bunch of free rapid tests from the government. Um, you should look this up in Ontario. You can do this. And then like, I obviously had to do a PCR test to fly back to Canada. So it was like, I'm, I ended up being negative the whole time, you know? So it made me feel like the vaccines really work amazingly well, like way, way better than you would think. Like some of the situations I was in, like I went to a show in New York that wasn't my own show, but it was like, it was a dance hall show with like, you know, Sister Nancy and like uh, all these like legends, like, you know, Mr. Vegas and stuff. And it was like a huge auditorium, like full of people. And, and honestly, not only did it, it felt safe at the time, but it's like, you know, I never got the coronavirus. So, yeah, shout out to Pfizer. That's <laughs> right. Shout out to <laughs> Pfizer, Moderna. Yeah, I'm half Pfizer, half Moderna. So it's just like a hybrid of amazingness. It's a collab. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a good collab. But I mean, I'm a writer. So when I was like kind of looking at, you know, your past and your career, like shout out to the most isolating career ever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but I realized that, you know, writing kind of seems to be at the core of everything you do. And I just kind of wanted to for you to talk about that, like sort of how it all goes back to putting through your message, whatever medium, like I really respected the essay you did about your record label and mm -hmm. the growth from there. Like you're really not afraid to tell us vulnerably, like a, a real one. Like, you know, you hear rappers that say things and we've been hearing about bad deals forever, but we like the detail, like what makes you want to be like a storyteller that way? Yeah. You know, that was something that was really important to me. It was uh, particularly just telling that story. Like, it took me a long time to get to the point where I was confident enough to really just be transparent about it. Because for a long time, it was like I was really embarrassed and ashamed about the situation. I just felt like really trapped in it, especially when I was when it was happening. You know, it's like one of those things. It felt like, honestly, it's like being abused. 
And this happens to so many artists, right? And it's this thing where when it's happening, it's hard to look outside of it, you know? And you're thinking, it's like, oh, well, they're just making mistakes or, you know, like they didn't mean to do this or whatever. But then when you you look at it in a big picture way, it's like, okay, this is actually part of like a in a design or whatever, you know? So it was really important for me to be just really transparent and straightforward about you know, the numbers about, you know, like what my contracts were like, because I feel like people are kind of afraid to talk about that kind of stuff. And I felt like at the level that I'm at in my career now, like I felt confident about just being like, you know, I can be honest about this stuff, you know, and and, and it won't hurt me, you know, whereas like a new artist might be reluctant to say something because they think they're going to get dropped or whatever. Like, And they need to see that. They need to see that from like, yeah, from like other artists have to show people exactly. or else how are things going to change? No, exactly. And I wanted it to be this thing where it's like I could give other people confidence to talk about their experience. Or I got so many messages from people being like, yeah, the same thing happened to me. The same thing happened to me. Or like I had a similar situation. And you realize this is like an epidemic in our industries, which which I consider to be like, this is the industry working the way that it was designed to, right? Like it's inherently an extractive industry. It's like we're taking something that's really beautiful and just naturally occurring, like music, you know, somebody playing a flute in forest somewhere in Africa, you know, and uh, trying to package that and give them a fraction of the money. Yeah. Well, capitalism is destructive. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's a system that we have to work within and it's uh, we have to find a way where it's equitable for us as artists. It's interesting, yeah, because there's something just really sinister about the, just the bad contracts, uh, you know, just them being offered up uh, to begin with and unscrupulous lawyers. And uh, I remember talking to, uh, you know, Chaos and, uh, you know, who, who I'd worked mm. with over the years. And he, yeah, he used to send me these emails and he, and he would call the music industry the music sin-dustry, as in sin, you know, as in, as in these, these <laughs> long rants, you know what I mean? <laughs> like the music sin-dustry. Um, you know, that's very poetic, it's very chaos. Um, but even with your music, I want to get into even just a little bit of that. I mean, like, or a lot of that rather, but um, we, we're obviously imploring our, our listeners at Black Tea to go, go stream Parallel World. You know, it's a fantastic album. And, um, you know, there are a lot of, I guess, cadence come latelys, you know, that for some people, this might be the first time they've heard of you. Uh, we don't know. Um, you know, I, I want to talk a bit about current longevity because, uh, you know, when you started releasing music, you know, you were a, a real youngin. Like I, re- I remember taking in, um, um, your debut break in kayfabe back in uh, 2006, you know, which is like what 15 years ago. It feels like a lifetime ago. And um, what we find, you know, you know, I hear in Canada in particular is all I can speak on. But you know, you know, success in any industry is fleeting. Many musicians I grew up with, uh, you know, they and they've put out hits, put out albums, EPs, mixtapes, uh, many singles. Um, you know, have have come and gone. You know, and they're still very young, but they kind of put out a couple albums and disappearing act. Or they have their what we call fifteen minutes of fame, um, but but it appears that um, to me that your career seems to be getting stronger. You know, as the more releases you put out, the more records you put out. So, give us your spin on as to why you know perhaps some music careers they just fizzle out, don't sustain themselves, and then uh, juxtapose that with somebody like yourself. It seems you're getting stronger as you, the more releases you put out. Yeah, that is interesting, and it is very uncommon in rap because usually when you get older, you're supposed to get whacker, right? <laughs> Um, but, uh, for me, like, I find that, um, I try and just do everything with like a lot of depth and a lot, I put a lot of care into all my records. And I, I, I always like, even from the very beginning, you know, like I studied all classic albums, you know, before I put out Breaking Kayfabe and I really wanted to make something that really would last the test of time, you know, and I try to do that with each of my records. I try to, 
have multiple meanings for different songs and like have stuff that people, you know, can take with them when they're not listening to the record. So I just try to make things that are really meaningful, you know, and it's like I never really got into any trends. I think that's one of the things that people really, um, it really like limits uh, your longevity if you tie yourself too much to like a particular scene or a particular sound, which like I never really did. You know, I never did like a crunk album or something, you know, like I, I was never really jumping on trends. Like my thing is like, I've always had like a very distinctive uh, vision for like what I want my music to be like. And I've never been like overly influenced by any particular scene or sound. So I feel like people just always come back to me because they know maybe every album I'm going to do is going to be different from each other, but it's going to be something that's like with a certain level of uh, dedication and and focus and depth to it, you know? And I think that's something that really give, gave me longevity, you know? Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, totally. Not j- jumping on trends and uh, and fads and just sticking to your sound, you know, or whatever, not your sound, because it changes, obviously mutates and morphs into different things per every release. But uh, yeah, just sort of staying consistent. I actually think there is a bit of a, I have a bit of a sound that I've developed over the over the years, you know, where even it's like I'm not really producing as much now, but I'm always looking for these kind of the most innovative thing that I can find or like strange sounds that really excites me, you know, and I'm always like I'm a, I'm always searching, you know, and I think, you know, if you're kind of an open minded music listener, you know, you should check my records out because I'm always going to do something different. Mm-hmm. So, Roly, just to wrap up, I mean, you have a, your forthcoming book. It's about your career. It's called Bedroom Rapper, um, and it's coming out uh, in May 2022. Now, our show, we pride ourselves. We're like the spoiler alert uh, kings and queens of Canada. Like, you know, we'd interviewed a politician, uh, Selena Cesar Chavannes, you know, before her book came out, uh, although it wasn't that far in advance. But, yeah, can you sort of give us, like, yeah, just a sort of teaser? Like, what should we come to expect in Bedroom Rapper? It's a great title, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that was like what um, some journalists used to refer to me as when I first came on the scene. Like, he's like a bedroom rapper. He's like, you know, it was like, a, you know, because it, it was very novel at the time. Like, you know, 2005, 2006, like, you know, I was making music with my computer in, in my mom's attic, you know, and I took that and ended up touring the world and stuff. So it's kind of just talking about that experience, just being, tr- becoming a rapper from Edmonton, you know, and making it getting signed to all these American labels and doing all this stuff. But um, there's also some essays that are just about, you know, I feel like the the book is an alternate history of hip hop. It's particularly underground rap, you know, whereas like I talk about like kind of the underground rap era of like the early 2000s. But like, I also talk about like UK grime music, like I have a whole chapter about it, you know. I see myself a bit as like a music historian on top of being a musician. So that side really comes out in the book. You know, like I I also have a chapter all about Canada. I'm trying to like just destroy the myth of the polite Canadian and, the you know, I, I really analyze where it comes from, where all this plaid comes from, where all these like cliches and the difficulty I've had breaking through these cliches to be like, you know, I'm also a Canadian, you know, is and in my experience is valuable too. So those are some of the things that I'm talking about on the book. That's dope. I always say Canada is polite, but not nice. That's why we have so mm. many inequalities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. Thank you so much for joining us, Roly. Cadence Weapon. Like, this is great. Thank you, Mel. Thanks for having me. When the book comes out, uh, you're welcome back, you know, uh, yeah, next season. Absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And um, here's some music from Cadence Weapon's album, Parallel World.
We'd like to thank our producer, Kevin Sexton, our sound mixer, Ryan Clark, and our showrunner, Claire Broussard. And don't forget to rate us five stars and a little comment in iTunes.